0: Welcome to the Branches Podcast. Following the lead of Jesus, we seek to embrace people regardless of their background or their present ground in the hope they find holy ground. We are a church for people who don't go to church. If you'd like to learn more about the reckless love of Jesus or our community of faith, please visit our website at branchesoc.com. Um, I'm tired, so I'm going to pray right now that my thoughts all come together. And more importantly, that uh, our hearts and our minds are here for sure the the Lord wants to tell us. Father, we surrender to you. We thank you for the opportunity to get together to worship, To direct our hearts and our minds towards you. To share with you, honestly, our doubts, our hopes. Trust that you're going to do something. Not just this morning, but in our lives. So we surrender to you in the name of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Okay, anybody know someone on April 10th? Anybody can hear that it? It's National Siblings Day. You're going to be ready. Okay? And I'm going to ask you something you've probably never thought about, and I've only been thinking about recently. What would it be like to, be to have Jesus as your sibling? Think of it as Jesus as your scissors. Most people have a scissor, not everyone, but if you have a scissor, we've all been there in that moment where you go into the fridge and you're looking for your Girl Scout cookies and you wrote your name on it and they're gone. Right? You don't think there were times when Jesus went to get his lamb? And it had his name on it, and he saved it from Passover, and it was gone for one of the siblings it. Did you know he had brothers and sisters? So remember when Jesus said. Even, even a prophet doesn't have a following. Doesn't have any honor in his hometown or even with his family. Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James? So had a brother named James? And this is the order of, of age. James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon, and his sister. So we know there are at least two sisters. So there's at least six siblings rolling around, right? In case I didn't map right. Yeah, I just want to make sure. I'm tired. I don't want to throw it off. So you got at least six. So you've got Mary and Joseph, that makes eight. You got the Jesus family of eight at least rolling. What was it like for them? What was it like? Did they, did they argue about shotgun? In the carriage that go from Jerusalem when they were in the because they said that Jesus was going there. At least one of those siblings was around because Jesus was around 12 years old. I mean, think about all, think about, we're going to focus on James. Because in the scriptures, there's a lot on James. Not as much about the other siblings, but there's a lot about James. So we're going to focus on him. So I want to ask a few questions and I want you to wrestle with. This. Do you think that James ever said to Jesus, hey? I won't tell dad, he won't tell dad. <laughs> you think those things didn't happen? You think that never came about? What about, well, how do you think Jesus reacted when someone tried to date one of his sisters? Do you think when his sisters, I to go pee real bad, do you think that he tried to make them laugh? Or did he talk about longer? Why would he, right? It's fun. they siblings. They're normal siblings, except one of them is perfect. But <laughs> he's still in that family. What was it like when they went to school and they came into Hebrew class and they like, oh, you're Jesus' brother, because he was the oldest. Uh-huh. Like, you know how you had to follow one of your siblings or your siblings had to follow you in school and what that was like? Imagine trying to follow Jesus through school. Was there ever a time... When, when Mary gave them a list of chores and left you think they all just kicked it around the house and just relaxed until the last 10 minutes and then they all raced around to do the chores together and they're siblings they're normal they're, they didn't just walk I mean Jesus is perfect but he's also human and so in this process what I want to do is think what it was like for them because what would it be like for you what would it take for you to believe that your system was God incarnate. Imagine that gap. Because what we're going to see here in Scripture is that in the beginning they did not believe that he was the Son of God. And we're going to focus on James, and it's very specific. So there's this, this picture that we get where we have to look into their lives. And by looking into their lives, because this is not a message about the systems. You'll see where we're headed here shortly. But as we look into their lives, they can help us grow in our faith. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to bounce around a lot. I'd like you to go to Mark chapter 3. Because as we look at Jesus and his relationship, especially with James, if anybody is going to know you, it's going to be your system, Right? I mean, your life, if you do something great or something bad or whatever, if there's a tell-all book to be written, the people are going to want to hear from your siblings because no one is going to know you better than one of your siblings. I mean, we know our parents have this exaggerated view, right? I mean, of course, James is going to have his doubts. I mean, nobody's going to know Jesus like James And, and the rivalry that must have been there between them. But Mary, I mean, she's going to think her son to walk on water. She's probably not that at all good because that's what moms do. But it's silly. What is it going to take for James to believe that Jesus is God incarnate? So, there was a time in Mark chapter 3, Mark writes about uh, Jesus. He's, he's teaching and his mother, Mary, and it says the brothers are And they're standing outside. Okay, so they're outside. And everyone says, hey, your, your, your mother and brothers are outside and looking for you. And then Jesus says this, who are my mother and my brothers? I didn't think that settled with his mother and especially his brothers outside. Oh, really? Seriously? Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, here are my mother and my brothers. That's probably didn't sit right with James. Come on, man. Because like, now Jesus is famous. Everyone's gathering to hear him teach, and he's becoming a, a celebrity. It's almost like you would to name drop your brother, but then your brother drops you from the group, so to speak. Or at least with our insecurities, as we've been talking about the past few weeks, with identity and, and validation, James has got to have doubts about himself, and here his brother is... Not doing this on purpose, but trying to give a larger picture. Of, look, we're, it's not about blood. It's about God bringing us together. Everyone is my, my my brothers and my sisters. But for James, yeah, but I'm your real brother. That didn't set right. And Jesus goes on to say, a prophet is not without honor. They've in his own town, among his relatives, and in his own home. But this passage right here that I'm about to read, John chapter 7, so if you have your Bibles or your phone, go to John chapter 7. This, I think, gives us the most clear picture of the rivalry, of the difficulty in the family. So Jesus keeps going on Galilee's teaching. But he didn't want to go into Judea because the Jewish leaders were there looking for a way to kill him. So common sense... Our Lord knows it's not my time yet. This is not where I'm supposed to be. But, she, but the Jewish leaders, that were looking for a way to kill him. But when the Jewish festival Tabernacle was near, and watch watched what the brothers did, Jesus' brothers said to him, now knowing that if he goes to Judea and he said, look, I could get killed there. And so this is his brother's response. We've got to go to Judea so that your disciples there may see the works you do. No one who wants to become a public figure, acts in secret, you're doing these things, show yourself to the world. Now, when you read that, whenever you read, you don't know the kind of, the, the way that they said it, right? Because it, it matters how you say it. When we usually read this, we think of the brothers going, leave Galilee, go to jail. So that your disciples may see the works you do. But we know that's not the way they said it, because it says in the very next verse, or even his own brothers did not believe in him. That they had seen the miracles. They had seen people being healed. They would seen the water turn to the wine. They they'd seen these miraculous, amazing things. But if, you, if you've ever seen a miracle, and, and don't tell me miracles don't exist because they've seen them. even when you see that, you're like, yeah, but, you start to doubt. Because miracles are a sign that point you somewhere, but that's not where your faith is going to come from. And it didn't work for James and his brothers. This series that we're going through, the title of it is, and uh, actually uh, Bert came up with it. He did the graphic, and then he, I said, I haven't figured out what to call it yet. I shared with him the heart of what it was about. And he made it very simple. If There's no resurrection, and there's no Christianity. See, because the miracles and the signs and all those, those are helpful. They point to what kind of God we have. But your faith can't be built on just those miracles. I've seen them, and yet I was still doubt at times. So our faith has to be focused on the resurrection. And it's because of James and his brothers, they didn't believe in him by these miracles and these signs. So what is it? What is it that's going to develop this kind of faith where we see this transformation, especially in the life of James? So after, after his brothers had said this and then they left for the festival. So they went without him. It's like they're just walking away from him. They don't believe. So let's see where we had now. Acts 1. So Jesus' life at this point, he begins to do these miracles, he's raising people from the dead, he's preaching, and now his life is getting to the point. Where he is a threat. What is it like for his siblings to walk with him and to see his life at risk? Have you ever had one of your siblings uh, get in a fight? Have you ever watched it? Of course, you don't just sit around and watch it. You jump in because you care for your siblings. Even if when you leave to go into the kitchen and grab some food, when you come back, you knew that your siblings, when you were younger, would come and take your spot on the couch. It doesn't matter. If they're in trouble, you're going to be there for them. Even though you've said all kinds of stuff to your siblings before, and they've said all kinds of stuff to you, if someone else says something about your sibling, whoa, 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 whoa. I can say it but you can't say it. So here you have Jesus going through this life where now, although he was a celebrity at one time, and people were loving him, he's calling them to something greater, and he's claiming that he is the son of God, the Messiah. And so people are beginning to turn on him. What was it like for his brothers to see his cross? What was it like for his brothers and his sisters when he was taken to be crucified? Here in Acts it says, they all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women and married the brother of Jesus and with his brothers. Because when Jesus was crucified, And his brothers knew that. Then they just dropped into prayer. Because now what are we going to do? We've just lost our brother. Some people are praying because they're scared. And I'm sure James was probably a little bit scared as well. But then there's that. It's my brother. He's not here anymore. And he's dead. And James is like, yeah. I mean, I know he's claiming to be the son of God. J-Dop. I wonder what you called him. I wonder what kind of nickname you <laughs> You know? You <He> always <laughs> have a nickname for one of kids. Whatever the nickname was, he probably threw that out and he was, my brother. And so he was there when they were all joined together praying. But, on the third day, not 72 hours, we'll talk about soon, but on the third day, Jesus, Although he was dead, he rose from the dead. And as you heard in our scripture, he went around, our scripture for this morning that Kirsten read, he went and he talked to over 500. But when he went to the apostles, notice this. He appeared to James and then to all the other apostles. I think that's so appropriate so important that Paul made sure to let the people in Corinth, he said, you know what, he he, he appeared to all of these different people and as we saw in the scripture that we read this morning, this is of primary importance, that Jesus lived, died, and rose again. But then he highlights that when Jesus was coming back, he went to James before the rest of the Paul. Can you imagine that interaction right there? At one point, James doubted. What are you going to think now when you're James? When you see your brother risen from the dead? Well, we're not going to focus on what he thought, but we're going to look at the course of his life after this. Now, although we have some stuff in Scripture, we don't have as much as we would like. But we also have what writers outside would say. Eusebius, Josephus, non biblical writers who talk about Jesus and about James. And so what happens to James is he becomes well a leader. He becomes a leader of the of this the early church. And the church, as we know, they didn't call it. Hey, what are we going to call ourselves? Let's call ourselves the church. This church means a group. The called out one. And Jesus is the one that started the church. You ever want to know who started it? Wasn't the guys afterwards. Jesus, remember, said, "And on this truth, Peter, I will build my church, my gathering of people." My called out. And so this church, James, Cephas, and John, and James the brother that's mentioned here in Galatians 2, they were seen as pillars, which means they were the leaders of the church. And as we know from Eusebius and Josephus, James actually becomes, says, the first bishop of Jerusalem. Now when you say bishop, they mean, you know, okay, this is Episcopal, this is Catholic. A bishop is a pastor. It's just an overseer. That's what a bishop is. That's what the word means. And so James is the first lead pastor of the church in Jerusalem. How do you go from here to there? And it's not because, oh, well, he's a brother, we better put him in there. Because that's, well, I can get in deeper to that, but that's not the reason why. It's because of his faith. Something happens in his life. And what is it? He saw his brother rise from the dead. Going from the point where he's mocking him Oh, why don't you go back to Judea, Uh huh? Because if you're this big shot celebrity pastor person, you should probably go. If you're really who you say you are, then go. How does he go from mocking Jesus and not believing to being a pillar of the church? Because he saw him rise from the dead. And that's why in the book of James, which most of us believe he wrote it, he says, this is how he describes this is how he opens up the letter in James. It says James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. As we talked before, Christ is not a last name. He's saying the Lord. His Lord. Would you? What would it take for you to call your sibling Lord, Master? What would it take for you to think of your sibling? the Messiah, the chosen one. But this is the transformation that goes on in James' life because he's seen his son his, his brother rise from the dead. At one point his family thought he was out of his mind. They thought he was crazy. And now here he is calling the Lord. <clears throat> This is why this is important for us. Because what we're going to go through this year is we're going to keep looking at different things that will give us evidence for this faith in Jesus rising from the dead. I was talking to someone in the past couple of weeks, and as we were uh, talking, we were talking about faith, and he's asking questions. And he says, why do you believe? And I said, because of the resurrection. And he says, well, what if you heard something? that started to take away from that? What if you heard something that you thought was true? Like, for example, everything we're sharing this morning about James. What if that were taken away? What if some kind of evidence came about that showed that was all a lie? And I said, well, for me, I didn't just hear something and start believing. It took a while for me. And for most people, in the process of their faith, it takes a while. And yet, if it's, my faith is going to be taken away, that also has to take a while. So I said, it's not just going to all of a sudden just fall apart, because it didn't just all of a sudden build up in one day. It would have to be convincing, and it would have to be more evidence to build upon it. Just in the same way that I came to faith, it wasn't a one-moment thing for me. It was a gradual, just building and building and building of evidence, where I just couldn't fight anymore. Probably much like James. And here's the thing we need to understand, is this, our faith, without the resurrection, There is no Christianity. We have our Bibles, right? We take them for granted. The early church, the church went for 200 years without a Bible. They were martyred. They grew beyond belief in terms of the numbers of people that came to faith. How did they come to faith without a Bible? Now, I love the Word of God. When we we're here on Sunday mornings, this is where we put our, our weight into. We love to study of the Scriptures. We're trying to encourage you to do it on your own in groups, whether they be two, three, four, five, ten, twelve coming here on Sunday mornings to be in God's word. But they didn't have God's word. For 200 years, the church was growing. People were coming to faith. There was a movement. So what was it that they were leaning on? They were leaning on an event. The resurrection of Jesus. That's why Paul, in our reading this morning, from first Corinthians said, this is of utmost importance, that Jesus lived, actually died, and rose again. That's what our faith is built into. And so, as I'm wrestling with this, I, I've talked to a few people in the past couple of weeks, and I've asked, I said, so, so what do you know about the resurrection? Why do you believe in the resurrection? Most people don't know why. You just, somebody told you. You're taking it from somebody else's research. Even me sharing about James, if you're just coming to hear from me, going to build that trust and that faith? When you look at it, the evidence evidence becomes so overwhelming that it's hard not to see this happen. But when we gather together, here on a Sunday morning, when you gather in your smaller groups, have a notebook, have your Bible, be taking notes, researching, because your faith can't just be, well, I feel good about it. I feel good when when I'm doing the things that Christ called me to do. Because your faith won't last our faith is built on the resurrection. That's why Easter is such a big deal That's what we're going to put our weight into—so much weight that we will be able to be like James. I don't know if you know how this ends James, but as he's leading the church, you see Josephus, they share this, and another writer actually too. He gives up his life. He's a martyr. He's killed. James is killed for his faith that his brother is the son of God, the Messiah, the Lord. They take him from the top of a, a temple and they throw him off. The, t- the temple mount, they threw him off. Yet when he fell down to the bottom, and I don't know if you know why, high it's quite high, he lived. They're like, oh, he made it. So they come down there and they start grabbing a bunch of rocks and stoning them so they can finish the job would really he agree to go through that? All he had to do was say, hey, okay, I was just making this up. Jesus didn't die. He's my brother. I was just pumping it up because it felt really good to lead this movement. At any point, he could have said that and gotten off, stop free. But he knew what he knew. He knew that his sibling was God incarnate and he was willing to die for it. That kind of, We shouldn't feel sorry for James because he went home. But more importantly, while he was here, he led the movement that was all based on Jesus rising from the dead. So that's what we're going to focus on for the next few weeks. That's where we're going to wrestle. But don't just wait to get here on Sunday to do. The evidence is out. And when you see it and you wrestle with it, it becomes so overwhelming that you are set free. Because there's nothing more than to know that death has no hold on us. Because as Paul said, hey, it didn't hold Jesus. And because of our faith in him, it won't hold us. So I want to pray for us, and this is going to be a process, not just this series, but in your own life. So start asking these questions and looking for the answer. So I'm going to invite the worship team up to myself. And you could, with you stand with me and if you're able. Prayers that we lift to you in this music, and pleasing <coughs> he
1: in your ears. Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. Uh, my name is Derek, and um, I work as a hospice chaplain. So the topic of death and resurrection uh, evokes a lot of thoughts for me. And um, but as Bob was talking, I was thinking. Familiarity breeds contempt. So I was thinking of you know how easy it is, perhaps for James, being the brother of Jesus, to have some contempt for him, just my brother. So it took the it took the death and resurrection of Jesus to kind of shake him loose from that. And thinking about us, you know, um, we're part of an unbelievable creation, and yet because we see it every day. uh, it becomes very familiar. And we have a certain, it becomes mundane, if you will, contempt for creation. I mean, at this very moment, all the processes that are going on in your in your body, at this very moment while I'm speaking to you, are beyond belief. But to uh, us, we see it every day. We see the sun rise every day. Uh, we don't think about how unbelievable the universe is. And so, if creation, try to. If you really want to blow your mind, try to try to think for a while. Go back before any of this existed. God created this all that you see out of nothing. Is it really that difficult to think that He can then reanimate or resurrect this? To me, that's easier than initial creation. I like to sculpt and um, you know molding something out of clay. And then destroying it and making it again is rather simple, but I can't make that clay to start with. <laughs> I have to have a clay to start with. So if God can make us out of nothing, uh, I don't think it's going to be very really difficult for Him to reanimate my bones or regather my ashes and breathe life into me again. And the second thought um, that I have is, um, I um, teach some classes. And, and college, World um, religions class. And so I always ask all the students, whatever their religious beliefs are, um, do you believe that you have a spirit? You have your body, but do you believe the essence of your body is a spirit? And they all believe that they have a spirit. And so then I ask further questions. Well, if you have a spirit, do you believe that that spirit uh, ends when your body dies? And none of them believe that it ends. They buy into the notion that the spirit. Goes on. They don't see that spirit in them, but they believe inherently, inherently that they have a spirit, and that spirit lives on. And um, to me, when I, um, doing hospice, I mean, look at us. We all believe we have a spirit. We believe in a God, though we don't see Him. Um, and so, when I do in hospice, I see a lot of patients that are, you know, in their last um, months and days. But I'm also called out often um, or I'm even there when the patient passes. And um, to me, as dark as death can seem, uh, as daunting, um, when I look at that person, that body laying there, it's just overwhelming evidence to me that that person is no longer there. The essence of that person is gone. And what I'm looking at is just a tent. An earthly tent. It's just a, a jar of clay that's broken down, and so that's step one for me as far as the hope of the resurrection. If I know that that spirit is gone, and if we believe in the Lord Jesus, that spirit is gone to, you know, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So my spirit is with the Lord. It's not so hard then to believe that at some point God is going to raise my body up again to. To rejoin my spirit, to be one again, except it's going to be an upgrade. <laughs> it's <laughs> not going to be uh, the body we live in now. It will no longer be subject to death. It will be one resurrection. So that's the hope that we have. i encourage you in that hope. Again, when I, in in hospice work, I see these circumstances all the time. What a huge difference it is to be with a patient, a family that has hope, versus those who don't. And so hang on to that hope. That we have in this season of lands at Easter to come. And uh, I'll close with one last thought because uh, you know, we lived in France many years in ministry. And I had a friend uh, a lot of atheists there, but there I had one friend, he was sort of a powerhouse atheist. And uh, he would come to our open door, kind of you know, we had these open-air discussions at this cafe bar, just you know, it wasn't a church, it was just open discussion. And he always could debate anything that was ever put out there. He had a very strong position, very knowledgeable. We became very good friends. And over the course of our time together, the one thing that he didn't really have an answer for was when I asked him one time, well, how do you explain, you know, the disciples? Like, they all gave up their lives in the end. I mean, if Jesus wasn't resurrected... I mean, he really believe that they would then go on, the ones that walked with him, would go on at some point and give up their lives. And he didn't have an answer for that. He confessed that that was the one thing he didn't have an answer for, was the zeal that the disciples of Jesus had to go on and give up their lives in the end for the cause. So that's, that's, that's good proof in and of itself. Close in prayer and in a couple announcements. Heavenly Father, um, thank you for this uh, season of Lent, it allows us to try to focus our minds um, from our busy schedules and all that's going on uh, to truly focus on you and what really matters. To focus on not temporary reality but eternal reality. I just pray that you bless each and every one in this season. That Draw them near to you, and that we would truly get a sense of um, the resurrection of the life, and what that means to each one of us, and the hope that we always have, no matter what circumstances we deal with, no matter how dark things can seem, even encroaching death. We know that you have victory, and uh, so we have victory. So we just thank you for your goodness. And just bless each and every. well, <laughs> uh, fetch them, and then me, uh, with our arrangement here with the chairs, we could really use help with everybody, just, uh, we have to get all the chairs out facing the front again, so if we could all help out, that we want. God bless you, have a good time.